Before a magic lamp yielded its power. Before an enchanted rose cast its spell. Before a glass slipper revealed its magic. There was an apple. A magic wishing apple. Wishing apple? Yes. One bite. And all your dreams come true. The one that started it all. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode, another season of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? As anyone who has been following us knows, the past couple weeks, we have been doing the Friday the 13th movies. So Josh and I figured, what pairs well with Jason? Um, How about the Disney animated movies from the Golden Age and the wartime era? I think that fits perfectly with a sociopathic killer like Jason. With me, as always, is my co-hosted friend, Josh. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for another lovely introduction, as always. Um, Yes, uh, folks, we've decided to uh, make a leap for better or worse, here we are. Uh, Halloween season is over. You say better or worse, but I'm sorry, you can't get any worse. No matter what movie we watch, it cannot possibly be worse than the ninth uh friday the 13th movie. jason goes to hell Stephen. Yes. they don't they did not have the rights to the friday the 13th name um correct see that's uh, how much those movies meant to me i i don't know we'll have <laughs> or to that see specific one i mean the once we get to the 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 three cab- uh, caballeros caballeros thank you so once we I get can, to I, I speak spanish once we get to uh fun and fancy free and there's literally a puppet like a live action puppet we're going to get into some wicked wild territory. Then we will see. But we today, hold... we're starting with numero uno, with um, 1937's Snow White and the Seven Doors. Uh, we are going way back in time. Back uh, in May, <laughs> To the oldest of the old. Uh, yes, we are doing it. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I did not. I, I, I got to be honest with you, Stephen. And I That's what this think... is for. I didn't think this day would come, not so soon anyway, um, but as we had spoken about, uh, logically, this made the most sense. <laughs> yes, well, how about we start there, Josh? Let's analyze you psychologically. What is your problem with uh, animated movies? Why don't you like fun or childhood? I. This is a deeper conversation. I am choosing uh, to plead the fifth. Um, but you know, I'll just basically, before I plead the fifth, I'll just say, this is just as I've gotten older, um, in growing more, uh, cynical and more, um, self-aware. I don't know what it is. I just can't, I don't know. There's something about the more fun and bubbly and, um, cozy. What I'm watching is it kind of just makes me, so let, I'll, I'll just say, I felt a lot, I felt, I related a lot to Grumpy while watching this film. Um, oh, me too, but not necessarily because of the film. Right, right, right. right. No, I completely. Um, since and- uh, <laughs> since you pled the fifth and you said uh, 
you don't want to talk about your present. Let's talk about your past. I don't know if this question is even like answerable by either you or me, but do you remember how you first watched this movie? No. So I will say, and I'll just leave it at this. This will be my backstory as similar to last season when I kept kind of the same backstories that I was kind of uh, lucky enough to grow up in a household where my folks uh, had access to most of, if not all of, no, not definitely not all of, but most of the classic Disney archives on either VHS. Um, no, it, at that time it would have only been VHS, but either like the store-bought tapes <laughs> with, with those plastic cases, the white cases with like the, sl- I the slip the covers. I Yep. Uh, either that or if they had come on TV, they taped the films on VHS. So like I, growing up, I, I mean, all of these movies, most of, I mean, again, most of these movies. You had watching. to wait for the movies to come out of the vault, though. Yeah, well, as we got older, the vault was like a thing. When I was younger, we had access to all these tapes. It was an Eisner thing. Right. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Eisner said, uh, I mean, I'm, I don't know the specific line, but his method of thinking was if you stop, it was the Cartman method in South Park 2. If you tell people <laughs> they can't have it and then you give them a taste, they're going to go fucking crazy for it. I mean, really, the marketing must have been crazy. And you, you probably have more notes on that or, or an idea of that than I do. But I know that growing up, we had access to, you know, Snow White, Pinocchio, Dumbo, Bambi, uh, Cinderella, you name Maybe it. You know what I mean? Like, it was just there. I mean, we had used to have shelving units of just VHS tapes. And I remember they were organized by the Disney section. Had It was its own section. So, like, I just, we just had access to these tapes. So, ever since, as young as I can remember, I just knew I had access to as long as I can remember, Snow White has always been a part of my life. As long as I can remember, Snow White's always been a... <laughs> yeah, I, gonna... I mean, I guess I am in the same vein. I don't really have uh, an origin story, per se, for this movie. Like Josh, I had a shelf of... I, I don't even know how many VHSs. It was crazy. Like, my brother and I remember, we used to, like, literally build, like forts out of them not like forts we could get into but forts for like our toys yeah 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 you know like the if those became the castles of the characters it was, this is like a few weeks ago right yeah this was uh last week it's actually funny though not that we need to keep this in but recently we found like a big pile of vhs's that was buried in the closet and it's like what do we do with this stuff that's awesome yeah because I don't think we even have there's no VCRs left they stopped making them yeah my mother has a DVD VCR combo because she was transferring our home videos to DVD years and years ago Um, so she would have the tape in one end and the DVD in the other and she would have this like she had this little machine anyway but that was the source and so they still have that combo player but we don't I don't think we have any VHS tapes left you should keep it just in case you never know so Instead of jumping right into the production, pre-production, all that stuff, I think that like we do when we talk about directors, it's important to talk about the man who is truly sent, or woman, but in this case it's a man, um, the man that's truly central to what we are discussing, and that would be Walt Disney. Correct. The man, the, our... list, the myth, the legend. Yes, yeah, uh, the one and only. We'll uh, do our, our introduction to the whole show, to all 
to what we're doing. And to Mr. Walt, to, to Uncle Mr. Walt. Walt. To Uncle Walt himself. Uncle Walt, as the young, as the older kids used to call him. So Uncle I'll start Walt by Disney. saying, if anyone really wants to read about Walt Disney, and because I'm, we're just going to give like an overview. We can't possibly get into all the, the nitty gritty, but I highly recommend the book Walt Disney by Neil Gabler, because it's not really, it's not really sanctioned by Disney. So he talks about the good, the bad, and the ugly about this man. Because though you have this pious vision of him, unless you have heard the anti-Semitism uh, rumors, I, I will say rumors. I'm not here to spread anything. No, of course not. Of course no, not. Because in reality, there is no true proof that he was anti-Semitic. He was part of a right-wing organization that had anti-Semitic anti proclivities. So again, it's one of those things, if, if you're part of the group, does that make you part of the problem? Either way, we're not here to litigate him right now. I'm just saying, if you want to read about the good, the bad, and the ugly, then read the Neil Gabler book. It's, I think, 800 pages, but it's a fascinating read. Uh, so the man was born December 5th, 1905, uh, to a mother, Flora Disney, a name which would later be used in Sleeping Beauty as one of the fairies. Uh, uh, his father, Elias Disney, who was a very, very strict man. Um, and he had three older, uh, sorry, he had two older brothers and one younger sister. But when he was a child, the eldest brother ran away from home. And his older brother, Roy, was almost like a father figure to him. And he became instrumental in the Disney organization. He was the CFO of the company. Can't imagine the ulcers that that man must have gotten from the money <laughs> problems and ups and downs that that company went through during Walt's regime. As kids, he moved around a lot, but mostly grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Walt joined World War I illegally. Uh, because he was 16 years old, not 17, the enlisting age. He lied to get into the military because his older brother Roy was drafted into the army and he didn't want to, he wanted to follow his brother over there. So Walt became an ambulance driver in France for a year. And on his uh, ambulance and other ambulances, he would draw cartoons of his, you know, of his superiors and his... Uh, yeah, yeah. But by 1923, he went out to La La Land and founded his own company. But then he was developing these Oswald the Lucky Rabbit cartoons. And unfortunately, Oswald was taken away from him due to a legal loophole by Universal, actually. <laughs> so they were competing. Fun stuff. They've been competing since 1927, essentially. Oh, God. So that's a long feud. It's a long feud. And I guess Disney won that one, right? So 1928, he develops Mickey Mouse. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Nope. He premieres as Steamboat Willie to amazing su success. But what made Mickey and what made Walt such an endearing person in Hollywood was his constant perfectionism and his pushing uh, the boundaries of things. You know, he's very much like Steve Jobs, you know, temperamental, uh, maybe a genius, but very harsh sometimes. 
But one thing he brought to cartoons that people now take for granted is he brought gravity into cartoons, literally gravity. Because before this period, cartoons would literally droop around. But when Walt did it, he wanted you to actually feel the characters stepping down. Like, you feel the weight of the characters. They're real people. You mean like everything was kind of bouncy and kind of like it was very for lack of a better word it's very cartoonish yeah everything prior to him felix the cat betty boop it was very everything was moving constantly even the backgrounds would jump up and down everything was kind of alive yeah very it was it was unrealistic it felt it looked like a cartoon exactly so walt changed that okay uh he also helped push the sound uh quality because as you and i no, but maybe the audience doesn't know. The Jazz Singer came out in 1927. And that's, that was the first talkie. That's, uh, I mean, I, of course I knew that. That's Yeah, Al Johnson. I mean, um, Al Johnson, man. We he's... don't need to talk about uh, the Come racial on, proclivities of that movie either. But Well, there's a lot during this time. It was the era. There are a lot of racy uh, realities were going on that we could all look back and say yikes uh, to a lot of it but hey we've been very good at tiptoeing around all it. we've been yeah, we'll tiptoe you know, around it again uh. absolutely we will i think i have a feeling we'll be tiptoeing around it this entire uh season if you will this entire uh, series so just a couple like fun facts about walt at the office apparently when he was upset or he did not like an answer he would raise his eyebrow <laughs> And just like walk away. <laughs> I guess this man had a lot of power, or I guess you could say um, snoot. Or he, he was, was very, uh, no, he uh, snooty man. He let he made sure everyone knew he was the boss. One of the, the one of the things he actually did was he would whenever he was approaching people or just walking down the hall, he would cough. He may or may not have had a literal cough because he died of lung cancer. Later in his life, the cough may have been real. But That's very Seinfeldian. <laughs> well, he smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. Well, so, that's why it's funny because I like the idea. I'm sorry to cut you off. It's yeah. funny, like the idea of like, someone working in Disney Studios at that time. And they're like, listen, Walt's got the cough. If he, if he coughs past you, that means, you know, he's got something to say. And he's like, well, maybe he's just got a cough, you know. It's like, no, he definitely had a cough. If he coughs, that means he's got something to say. But the cough would let employees know that he's nearby and they need to, like, get on their A-game because he's coming. And one final thing is he was prone to nervous breakdowns because he would work so hard to the point of exhaustion. Yeah, yeah. And he was – so, obviously, he was the last person to leave the studio, like, every night. So when everyone left, he would go through people's garbages – to see what cartoon stills they had thrown away because he thought maybe they threw away something that was good. And oftentimes he would find stuff that is good. Jeez, and he man, would that's... call the person out the next day and be like, so uh, why is this in the garbage? I'm sorry. Now I just want to see a whole show of this like era where like Boss Walt Disney. Boss Walt. Is- Boss Walt is just joint. It's just like um, you know, he's running this business that would later become an empire. But your focus, the characters are like the employees who work there, like and like the in their point of view, like the boss is a dick. But like, you know, I mean, obviously they have no idea. I'm imagining the like a veep humor. Yeah, no, it would have to be or a death of Stalin kind of humor. Exactly, it would have to be dry and smart enough that it's you're not you're not 
being disrespectful to the history, but you're also like making fun of it at the same time. You know what I mean? My, my statement. So <laughs> let's make the slow transition into Snow White. Yes, uh, make your way. I, as I mentioned before, he was a newspaper man as a child. So I guess a newspaper boy uh, in Kansas City. So there was a screening of a silent version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, a live action short that was filmed for the newspaper boys of Kansas City. And it was weird because they played the feature on four screens simultaneously, which must have been overwhelming. But it left a deep impression into Walt because clearly this is what he wanted to do. Uh, that and he, it may have been a business decision because Disney was starting to see that the returns for the shorts he was making were slowly diminishing. Because prior to this, let's talk about just how he made lots of money. Obviously, Mickey Mouse came about, brought in lots of cash. And he, at the same time, he's making silly symphony movies that is making a lot of cash. So he was able to get a loan to make a feature film. Originally, he thought that the movie would cost $250,000. Mm-hmm. By the end, it cost $1.5 million. This is 1937 money. This is 1934 money. You're talking he'd been working one, on it. Uh, yeah, he'd been working on it for four years. You're talking about $1.7 million in 1930. $1.5 million. Sorry, sorry. You're talking, sorry. You're talking $1.5 million in 1934. Yes, during right. the Great Depression. <laughs> which so, is, which by t- for inflation, by today's standards, is a bananas ass <laughs> amount of money. See, now you're thinking like a banker, which is exactly what the bankers were saying, why the fuck is this costing so much money? Roy (laughs) Disney, the CFO, like I told you, was having a fucking meltdown because the finances were being torn to shreds. And at one point, uh, Roy went up to his brother, Walt, and implored him to show what he had to the bankers. Because if he did not... The Bank Bank of America, who was financing the movie, would have pulled out because there it got too ridiculous. See, in this show that you, I'm sorry to cut you off again. See, in the show that you and I are going to make, so it, it's it's they they bring this Snow White project all the way up, and it goes up and up as they keep having to up their budget. It goes up and up to like these these banker characters, and obviously they're like really grubby kind of kind of big like heavy characters and they're bald and they have monocles and shit and like there's the big boss who's smoking a cigar he's like hang on you're telling me that we're putting 1.5 million dollars into a little white lady who is hanging out with seven bearded midgets (laughs) (laughs) you may be onto something here because the seinfeld analogy is pretty true let me tell you how this screening went down only one banker showed up um to the studio and like I said, the film wasn't done. So he's running the movie and there are points when it's just rotoscoping or just literally time placements. And Walt is in the front of the theater when the when the audio cuts out, he's like, and then they'll say this and this and this. And he, no. even, he even sang for parts of the songs for the banker. Hang now, on. 
this is like a whole i'm sorry we could probably should probably cut all this because this is a brilliant idea and i don't want someone to steal it but it's like <laughs> this is like i picture this is a season build up and this is like the this is the the finale this is the season finale let me tell you how it ends and then you're just gonna be like this is you're making this up so it's like a michael scott character who's like hang on no there's songs that are here and then they <laughs> so here's the thing they leave the screening the bank walt and Roy walk the banker back to the car. The banker doesn't say a word. He gets to his car, looks Walt in the face, and says, you're going to be making a lot of money. No. Yeah. It... Oh, so they knew, early, they knew early on. This guy, this banker saw something. So that's, that's that just would, a the, funny banking story. That, that would be the final line of whatever that season that would be the last line you're gonna make a lot of money absolutely oh man that's good so um when the when the newspapers got a hold of the story that he was going to make a feature film because again this had never happened that's what's so astounding about this movie no animated movie had ever happened before feature length so in the the newspapers ran the headline disney's folly People literally thought if you watched a full-length feature cartoon, your eyes would be ruined. I know, I can relate. <laughs> so when Disney had been amassing cartoonists for quite some time, uh, because like I said, he started the company in 1923, but in 1927, he started pulling people in. The first generation uh, was not truly artists they were just like people that he couldn't get for cheap but he brought in art teachers for the uh, employees to learn how to draw properly like i said he wanted to bring a realism to his cartoons mm -hmm. but then the set because of the success of mickey mouse and silly symphonies he was able to bring in better artists so that's the second generation he was able to get big names like Freddie Moore, Art Babbitt, Norm Ferguson, Bill Teitla, and Bill Lusk, who are like, the, they're technically like the first wave, and they're the big people who worked on this movie. But underneath them, the third generation was brought in because of the Snow White production was so massive. And they were called the third generation. And ultimately, they were dubbed the Nine Old Men because they mm -hmm. stayed until like the 1970s. Apparently when Walt announced that he wanted to make this movie, he amassed all his uh, artists, all the people who worked for the company in an auditorium, got on stage and literally like in a Steve Jobs fashion, got on stage and told them we're doing Snow White and he's at performed how he thought the movie should have went, like beat for beat. Some of the animators were opposed to the name Dopey claiming that it was too modern of a word to use in a, t a timeless fairy tale. So Walt made the argument that William Shakespeare had used the word in one of his plays, which managed to convince everyone, although in actuality, the, the reference to the term dopey is yet to be found in any of Shakespeare's work. So that's a, that's just a lie. That is funny. Well, um, the dwarves were the hardest part about this movie to do. They didn't develop the dwarves until a year before the movie was actually in the can. Do you want to hear some of the names that they had for the dwarves? Sure. Like possible names? Yeah. Uh, scrappy, hoppy, weepy, dirty, cranky, hungry, lazy, dumpy, thrifty, <laughs> nifty, shifty, woeful, 
uh, blabby, silly, dippy, uh, graceful, gloomy, slappy, flabby, crabby, daffy, uh, busy, dizzy, woeful, doleful, wistful, awful, snoopy, gabby, graceful, gaffy, jaunty, snappy, (laughs) biggie, bigo, ego, jumpy, (laughs) and chesty. This sounds like chesty. Good God, there's so many things to be said. Um, It sounds like a failed pitch for a Dr. Seuss, um, you know, uh, excerpt. It truly does. (laughs) Um, Speaking of the dwarves, I'll just keep it going. The animator Seamus Colhane, I guess, had had recalled drawing the dwarves March Home and Hi-Ho, the scene as one of the toughest assignments of his entire career. Although six of the dwarves were marching at the same tempo, he had to give each their own body language suited to the character, map each individual walk with a blue pencil and ruler because of the unusual angles and perspectives used in the sequence. And then there was Dopey bringing up the rear, hopping out of step with the others, but still had to be smoothly integrated into action. The animator described the sheer amount of painstaking hand-drawn involved saying i worked this is a quote and saying i worked six months on that goddamn thing and it doesn't even last a minute on screen (laughs) (laughs) they put a lot of work into the dwarves uh you have disney plus so if you went on to the snow white like they have this extra section and there's a whole thing it's like a literally a four minute thing on the dwarves but it gets so intricate about what they did because they needed each of them to have like distinctive qualities. Absolutely. So like Dopey is supposed to be like a child. Doc was made stout to give him like status. Yeah. Uh, all, what's it called? All the dwarves are relatively the same height except for Doc to give him that little extra and Dopey's a little shorter. Uh, Sleepy has a limp hat because it makes him look more tired. Bashful will never look directly in anyone's eyes or in the camera. Uh, Happy has a flatter nose to distinct him from Doc. It's really, I mean... His eyes are smaller to make his nose look more inflamed. And Grumpy intentionally had his hands folded often because they needed to, like, personify that grumpiness. It's just crazy, the detail that went into it. I mean, and it it pays off. They each have their own characteristics, but it's just, when you look at the actual work behind it, it's like, how can... And I'll... It, it, teasing the final thoughts a little bit it's like how can you deny the work that goes into it um the only other major note i have which i found funny is that at the recording session uh lucille laverne the voice of the wicked queen uh, was told by waltz animators that they needed an older raspier version of the queen's voice for the old witch laverne stepped out of the recording booth returned a few minutes later and gave a flawless old hag's voice, which stunned all of the animators. When they asked how she did it, she replied, oh, I just took my teeth out. (laughs) Um, She was, Walt actually found her because the year before she was in movie version of Les Mis, obviously without the music. Yeah. yeah. Uh, This film was made at Hyperion Studios, which is in Silver Lake, California. It was a smaller, it's a small place. The only reason I bring it up is because it was like a college campus. And apparently the animators would play pranks on one another all the time. Sure. They would put water over the door. They would switch labels on food cans. They put a fish in the water cooler. They did something called hot feet where they would stick a match under someone's foot because their feet go, went over the desk. 
Oh my god! They even did something with a turtle. One of the animators had a turtle, and it was a tiny turtle, and he kept feeding it this food. So the animators replaced it with a bigger turtle every week. And they, <laughs> the animator was so impressed. Like, look at my turtle. Look how big he's gotten. That they then re- retroactively regressed the turtle. They put no. the smaller ones in. That's <laughs> just really to mess with them. Uh, that sounds like a and good time. They even drew a naked Snow White often. Wow. Yes. But... The um, two points that I wanted to talk about was the sweat box and the old mill. Uh, the sweat box, first off, is the room that the animators would cram into to watch essentially the dailies of the day. Walt would be in the room, and so would all the animators. They called it the sweat room because it got extremely hot in there because you're in there for hours watching footage. And on top of that, you're sweating because the boss is literally watching what you have drawn, and he can either say yes or no. Oh, jeez. Now... I'm telling you, this is part of the show, man. This is all good, rich history right here. He's in the hot box. Um, <laughs> so the old mill, though, I just want to bring this up because it it's interesting. That isn't a silly symphony cartoon. That was the first to use a multi-plane camera, mm-hmm. which they used amply in this movie. Now, obviously, in typical animation, it's just a flat 2D surface. But what Disney developed was a multi-plane camera. So what that did was it broke down each layer of the background. So you can zoom in and out and give depth to the actual field of plane. You can zoom in and, like, zoom out. And so they wow. use that amply in this. Yeah, they did, apparently the first time they wanted to test the um, cam, like the new camera. They brought Walt in. They were so excited. They got this new $20,000 camera. They buckle it in and they're getting ready for the test. They click it on. The camera collapses through the sheets of glass. Oh my God. Walt's eyebrow went up and he walked away. That eyebrow though, the Walt, the Walt eyebrow of death. So finally, let's just get to the premiere, which was on December 21st at the uh, Carthy Circle Theater in L.A. Had the dwarves and Snow White in costume there. Uh, Big stars attended, like Clark Gable and, you know, all the Hollywood elite of that time. You know, everyone had anticipated it to be a complete bomb, but it was spectacularly reviewed and everyone loved it. Uh, So much so that uh, Walt got telegrams the day after and critics compared it to, and this was a compliment at the time, don't take it now, but it critics referred to it as uh, as important as birth of a nation, which again, we're going to be dancing around that racism too. We, we are going to be dancing. We're going to be doing that dance uh, every week. For and the this next movie weeks. was so big that it got MGM to give the go ahead to Wizard of Oz. Wow. Egg. Yeah. And finally, it won a special Oscar in which Shirley Temple handed him the award. Uh, It's one giant Oscar with seven mini ones next to it. That's cool. This is the first of many of Disney films to have its premiere engagement at New York City's Radio City Music Hall. Um, (laughs) But at the end of the film's initial engagement, uh, all the velvet seat upholstery had to be replaced 
due to young children who were so frightened by the sequence of Snow White lost in the forest that they had wet their pants and consequently the seats. And this happened at each and every showing of the film. That is hilarious. Which is going, this is a good tease for, uh, you know, well, one of our, uh, you know, later our, uh, fun things that we're doing with this. But So, you ready to get into the film? Of course, I've uh, been ready. The film opens with the storybook of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs magically opening. From afar, we see the castle and slowly zoom in to the queen's quarters. From behind, we see the queen, Lucille Laverne, approaching a mirror. Slave in the magic mirror, come from the farthest space. Through wind and darkness, I summon thee. Speak. Let me see thy face. I want to just make a quick note. But it's funny that that's the first line of any Disney movie ever. Slave in the magic mirror, come from the farthest space. I'm like, wow. From the flames emerges the face within the magic mirror. Maroni Olsen. The queen asks the now famed line, magic mirror on the wall, not mirror mirror on the wall. Idiots. <laughs> Big dumb idiot. It's like a Luke, it's I, am, Luke, your I am your father. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. <clears throat> you didn't the famed, watch the movie. Yeah. The famed line, magic mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all. The mirror responds. Famed is thy beauty, majesty. But hold, a lovely maid I see. The queen dramatically clutches her chest and simply utters the name Snow White. Uh, Snow, Snow White's Adriana uh, Casalotti in her ragged clothing is revealed humming as she cleans the steps of the castle. The yeah, hum tough ter- job, right? Very tough Who job. Who cleans the fucking steps of a castle? Uh, I guess a slave. I guess her. I guess there's a lot of slaves. The mirror's a slave. She's a slave. The hum turns to a song, I'm wishing. She wants to find her true love. The prince, Harry Stockwell, hearing her sing, sneaks up on Snow White at the well. Scared, Snow White runs inside the castle, but from first glance, they are in love. Much it's like pretty Romeo. gross. It is it's disgusting. I threw up a couple times. Much like Romeo, the prince confesses his love for Snow White as she listens to him sing from the balcony. I just want to make a quick quick note here because it's I don't know if I'll get to in final thoughts, but I couldn't help but think of... Uh, the 2007 uh, Disney Enchanted comedy Enchanted. Um, it's literally like the when because I I always thought like oh this is how Disney characters are but watching this it's the way that she's singing with the animals and the prince is like on a bridge singing down to her is like it's very reminiscent because that movie is very funny for me. Um, movie's amazing. What's it's I mean like, we don't have to get too deep on it but it that movie is brilliant because it. Disney making fun of itself, and I of appreciate course. it. It's them becoming self-aware 70 years later. Like, showing, yeah. like, hey, we're, we know it's silly, and we're going to laugh about it, and we're going to laugh with you. Did you see the second Wreck-It Ralph? No. I'm not going to sit here and I heard tell it was you good. it's as good as the first one. No, I, I heard it was good. No, it's good. It's just not as good as the first I one. I love the first Wreck-It Ralph. Talking about animated movies, I love the first Wreck-It Ralph. because part, Partly because I grew up on old video games, so it's, it's a nostalgia thing. But uh, no, my um, whole point was that in Wreck-It Ralph 2, there is the best sequence of the entire movie is when uh, Penelope 
goes into like a Disney store and I is with all the, the princesses. I saw it in the trailer. She, she finds all the Disney princesses. Yeah. So I recommend just like if you wanted to watch that one scene, it's worth it. I would probably watch the whole movie. I loved the first one. So, um, but yeah. it's but Again, all that to, all that to say is is that watching this and thinking of Enchanted and like laughing about it, it was like really it was fun for me because it's like that's also like you said it's also a Disney movie that's making fun of itself. So I I, I appreciated it. But I digress, like I often do. Meanwhile, the queen on her throne commands the huntsman Stuart Buchanan to talk Snow White into the woods so he can kill her. For proof, she requires the huntsman to place her heart in a box. Yeah, a very finely crafted box. Um, yeah, rough stuff, dark stuff for Disney early on. I like the adult stuff. Just put, kill her and put her heart in a box. I feel like it's just... We'll definitely touchy. get to the darker stuff in, like, literally a minute. It's when she runs, Yeah, literally a minute. <clears throat> the huntsman does what he is told to and takes Snow White to the woods. As she frolics through the woods, Snow White finds a lost bird. She quickly helps the bird find its parents, because of course she would. Why wouldn't she? Um, as the bird flies away, the huntsman's shadow approaches with a knife in hand. Which I gotta say, that is like a really well done shot as well. I think he stole it from 1933's M, but I think it was really well crafted. In terms of the, which we will say for Final Thoughts, the dark and the adult and the reality of whatever they're doing that's that's one of the few scenes that i felt it was, I was like this is kind of legitimate you know what i mean it's that scene of like you see the knife with the shadow in the hand and and he just breaks down and it's kind of like it's one of the few moments in this movie where i was like oh this feels like a real kind of adult kind of moment it feels real it doesn't feel like it's placating to children and yeah. it was just i guess that's part of them finding their footing in terms of like the, de the sense of desensitization um, of that blurred line between adult and ch childhood, uh, or uh, adults and child's child's pa childhood. palette, a child, adult and child's palette, I should say, uh, in terms of what of content. But it, yeah, no, I, I yeah, and that's it. Snow White screams. The huntsman quickly drops the knife. He cannot kill her. Instead, he tells her to run and hide in the dangerous woods, which. We, last week we were kind of talking about people who ham it up. This guy, no go, and never come back. Go. <laughs> he really just wanted he to really frighten her work. away for good. Then me, it worked, you know. Well, I he guess really, you have to be. Uh, he really hammed it up. You got to be that crazy to get some girl in a dress <laughs> to run into a dangerous woods by herself. Which, let's get into the woods. You want to talk oh. about some dark and crazy shit? Absolutely. Snow White heeds his request and runs into the forest. In the nightmarish scene, trees come to life. The branches become hands, grabbing Snow White. The wind howls and bark grows eyes. Snow White, overwhelmed, screams and falls to the floor, crying. So, before we get to the next sentence, let's talk about that forest sequence. Um, if you want to... To like tease some, one of uh, our uh, su yeah. surprises later, uh, this was a very traumatizing moment, I can imagine. The scene was also crafted exceptionally well. Uh, just learning about the background of it, uh, apparently they wanted it to be something that would scare a person in the situation, but from afar, like kids would be able to tell that it's really not 
anything too dangerous because she's in a woods and like leaves are grabbing her, but we can kind of tell it's leaves. When she falls into the puddle, it to her it's crocodiles, but to us it's wood. Well, I think that's why it's important that they showed what it was first and then like there would be something growing eyes and... Yeah, they also intentionally made her grow smaller as the sequence went on. They would push her further back into the background to make her seem smaller and more terrified. Sure, it's it's, it's effective. So it's just well-crafted. As the sun pierces through, friendly animals come out of the woodwork. A rabbit sniffs Snow White's hair. At first she screams, but quickly realizes it is just a woodland creature. Snow White apologizes to the rabbit. Together, she and the birds begin to sing, of course. (laughs) They begin to sing with a smile and a song. Snow White realizes she needs a place to sleep, and the animals whisk her to to a cottage. Noticing no one is in the cottage, Snow White and the animals quietly enter the home. Uh, Snow White, seeing the dust, dishes and seven kitchen chairs believes that seven orphans must live in the cottage i mean i guess they are orphans technically right i uh not enough info d not enough info no i'm just i'm getting a vibe of curb your enthusiasm where (laughs) funkhauser's parents die like his mother dies and he's 70 years old he's like i'm an orphan larry it's like you're not an orphan (laughs) little orphan funkhauser um Anyway, uh, where was I? She thinks if she cleans the house and the the children will let her stay. The song Whistle While You Work begins as Snow White and the animals clean the house, which can't be too sanitary. The deer tries to lick the plates clean. Squirrels with their tails push dust into a mouse's hole, while the raccoons do the laundry and the turtles are used as the washboards. The sequence fades to black. This is really something. Definitely not COVID friendly. Definitely not COVID friendly. Although I guess animals don't get COVID. They can lick my plate clean. Except and we saw those, much worse stuff in Ratatouille. Except for those tigers. There were tigers a couple months back that got COVID at some zoo. Right. Joe Exotic Zoo? Yes. <laughs> Son of a bitch, I'll shoot you between the eyes. It was Harold Baskin's fault who got <laughs> who gave my tigers covid it always is it's always carol baskin's fault um but i digress I she was on is on was dancing on, with, with the, the stars. stars fucking piece of shit i don't know um, i don't watch the show neither do i the dwarfs are revealed doc harry atwell grumpy slash sneezy pinto colvig okay. happy otis harlan uh bashful scotty matra sneezy billy gilbert and dopey no actor credit Oh, sorry. Dopey don't is. Silent. It's, oh, it's Dopey be don't right speak now. none. He don't As know the, how. He don't know how. <laughs> As the clock hits five, the workday comes to a close. The diamonds are thrown into an unsafe vault. And the journey home begins as they sing hi-ho. Literally, Dopey puts the key to the vault right next to the fucking vault. I guess no one else is in any of these minds. I, I, couldn't, I, can't, I couldn't tell you. Uh, but back at the cottage, Snow White and the animals go upstairs, although the turtle has difficulty. That poor, poor son of a bitch. Uh, they find seven tiny beds. Tired, they go to sleep. The animals are quickly awoken by the dwarfs approaching. Uh, Doc, at the head of the pack, stops in his tracks. He notices that lights are on in a cottage. Unsure of who could be inside, they think it could be a demon, a ghost, a goblin, or even a dragon. 
uh, Grumpy uh, interjects, saying, Mark my words, there's trouble to brewing. Feel it coming all day. A corn's hurt. The dwarves take this as a bad sign. Slowly and sneakily, they enter the cottage. They notice the house has been cleaned and see food cooking over a fire. Grumpy believes <laughs> it is witch's brew, of course. Of um, course. Bashful pulls flowers out of a pot and shows them to Sneezy. Per his name, Sneezy sneezes, blowing the others to the wall. Uh, big about sneeze, big, big, sneeze. big, big. Literally sneeze. pushes at least three doors to the wall. It's really, that was a powerful sneeze. Uh, about to sneeze. He learned again. from Pierce how to control his sneeze. <laughs> about to sneeze again. The other dwarves grab Sneezy and tie his beard under his nose. They know that someone is in the bedroom. Looking down the line, Dopey is chosen to look inside the bedroom. Of course. Yeah, that seed, I just want to point it out. It's always funny because Dopey's at the end of the line and they look down the end of the line and Dopey always turns his head too. Always. <laughs> like, it, it, just the comedy in this is pretty it's, on point with Dopey it's, specifically. It's really something. It's good. It's very, yeah, it would the give way to. in general have a great humor about them. The movie uh, really picks up when they come I mean, into the movie. They're the highlight for me. They're the highlight of the whole thing. But they, like I just said, the movie picks up drastically when they yeah, come yeah. And enter the fray. And yeah, now we got a picture. Dopey <laughs> makes his way to the room. He hears a moan and sees a pile of sheets rising and runs. Thinking a monster is in the bedroom, the dwarves run out of the house, shutting the door behind them on Dopey. Trying to get out, Dopey pulls at the door until he's propelled backward into a pile of dishes that cling to him. In the form of a dragon, Dopey leaves the house. The dwarves begin to attack. Once they realize it is Dopey, they stop. Dopey confirms it is a dragon in the bedroom, but sleeping. Knowing it is now or never, the dwarves grab their pickaxes and surround the bed. They're just kind of ready. Um, They lift the sheets to find Snow White. Bashful says she's an angel. Grumpy huffs this off, saying... Angel, ha, she's a female. All females is poisoned. They're full of wicked wiles. I made a note of this line. Wow. I thought it was very funny. Um, Bashful asks, what are wicked wiles? Grumpy replies, I don't know, but I'm against them. Um, That's literally the line. I don't know, but I'm against them. I'm against them. Uh, as Snow White awakens, the dwarves hide terribly by the foot of the bed. Uh, Snow White screams, and they drop to the floor. Snow... Uh, Slowly, their noses pop up on the foot of the bed. Seeing that they are the owners of the cottage, Snow White, in a calm voice, asks, How do you do? I said, how do you do? How do you do what? How do yes. you do what? How do you <laughs> I do love it. what? I just really, I told you I could relate. Uh, Snow White is happy. Snow White is happy that they know how to talk. She then gets yeah, That was, her- like, really uncool. She's like, oh, you talk. Like, Come on, you, just because they're little doesn't mean that they're stupid. Um, she then guesses who each of them are. Grumpy, unimpressed, presses Doc to ask questions. We know who we are. Ask her who she is. What she's doing here. <gasps> what are you and who are you doing? What are you? Uh, who are you, uh, my dear? Snow White tells them who she is, along with the fact that the queen is trying to kill her. Grumpy does not like this, saying the queen will kill the dwarves if she finds out where Snow White is. Snow White promises that won't happen. She also promises to cook and clean if she can stay. Now that is the bargain. Of course, they instantly are excited about the cooking. Snow White goes downstairs to check the soup. The dwarves run to the table jubilant. Snow White stops them and says they cannot eat until they've washed. They're all confused about the notion of washing before dinner. Um, yeah, they're looking at the water, calling it wet. 
Uh, I guess they've never interacted with water before. Well, um, from what the, the next line is that Doc says it's not New Year's, so like, why do we need to wash? So it seems like right. they wash at least once a year. They have to, right? <clears throat> uh, Doc saying it's not New Year's, saying there's no need. Uh, Snow White ad, uh, adamant sends the dwarves out to clean. They do the dwarf washing song. Yes, that is literally the song. Dwarf literally washing song. the name of the song. Back at the castle, the queen shows the magic mirror the heart the huntsman has brought her. The mirror tells the queen that it is a pig's heart and that Snow White lives in the dwarf's cottage. Yeah, what a tattletale. The queen decides to take matters into her own hands. She will kill Snow White under a disguise. She goes to her dungeon lair and begins to brew her potion. Black of night to shroud her clothes, hags cackle to hide her voice, scream of fright to turn her hair white, a blast of wind to fan, to fan her hate, and a thunderbolt to mix it well. Classic, how do we not have this recipe on every Food Network? I've seen it on Etsy. She drinks the potion and drops the glass. The room spins as her hair turns white. Her hands grow old, her voice becomes raspy. The witch within is revealed. The raven in the background hides from fear in a skull. The queen then begins to find a spell for a poison apple. Should we talk about the queen now and her uh, new look? Uh, we can. I know it'll... I feel like I'll forget about it in uh, later. But I feel like this is the kind of stuff... Josh and I have had this conversation before. This is the kind of stuff that kids don't get to really see anymore you know this is a character that terrified generations of kids and it's it's in the same vein as like the wicked witch of the west or um i don't know josh and i were talking about like courage the cowardly dog or are you afraid of the dark granted i'm not like in the kid entertainment world so i don't know if there are things that make kids scared but in a fun way anymore like i don't know if that exists but i feel like this kind of character just doesn't exist anymore i mean you've seen more animated movies than i have of recent um and i feel like i don't see you know i've not seen a character quite like this who's just so blatantly not just evil but like just really kind of frightening um a lot of the villains and, it, and we can talk about this in another time when it's more necessary but it's like I feel like the Disney villains, especially as time went on, they kind of became more comical. They became more of these kind of um, very theatrical, very Broadway esque. They have these big yeah, I don't songs. Know if comical they're... is the right word, but theatrical is a better word. They're to... more showy to show that almost like they're kind of safe. Like they're willing to have a little fun. They make jokes. They have sidekicks. I mean, it, gets, it depends on the character. You know, you get to Scar, he's a very dour, serious character. Or sure. like Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's like uh, as dark as it gets. I'm not saying know? that they, they don't exist, the dark characters, but this is like the the wicked the the queen slash the the old witch. They kind of like it's a it's kind of a manifestation of like the frightening villains that are um they're kind of lost. They're kind of like you really don't see that kind of character. So you bring up a, a point that like you said, you and I have talked about so many times. Um because like it's important to kind of frighten audiences, even if even children, just to remind them, like, hey, here's the evil, here's the villain, here's the terror, and here's the antagonist. You know, yeah. here's what we're fighting against. I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. No, of course, of course. 
At the cottage, Snow White and the dwarves are partying. The dwarves sing the silly song, each one of them showing off a talent. Dopey even gets on Sneezy's shoulders to dance with Snow White. After the song ends, the dwarves ask Snow White to do something. She tells them a, a story about a princess who fell in love. This quickly turns into her singing, Someday My Prince Will Come, <clears throat> which is classic Disney song. Uh, the clock strikes 11 and it is bedtime. The dwarves give Snow White the bedroom. They sleep in the living area. The queen in her lair has brewed the sleeping death potion and dips the apple into it. Okay. As she pulls the apple from the potion, a skull is uh, residing on the apple. With the mm. apple ready, the queen looks to see if there is an antidote. There is. Love's first kiss. She quickly diminishes this. She makes her way to the rowboat and begins her journey to the cottage. Although um, that time is one of Josh's favorite lines when she kicks the skull. <laughs> You're thirsty? Have a drink! Have a drink! And she kicks the skeleton. I don't know why. I just It always made me laugh. Have uh, a drink! Thirsty? Have a drink! Uh, I don't know. <laughs> hey, she's got a sense of humor. You know, I like that. As the dwarfs leave for the mines, they all tell Snow White to be careful as Snow White kisses each yeah, of their foreheads. Job. Don't know why I said this ominously, but it, we all know bad stuff is about to happen. Though Dopey tries to get a kiss on the lips, that dog. <laughs> um, even Grumpy has warmed up to Snow White by this point. Uh, the Queen's journey is almost complete as <laughs> vultures now look down on her with glee. If you did not know that bad things are happening and the uh, evil is taking fruition, uh, the vultures are evil. Evil. Um, Snow White is baking a pie, of course. Fucking course. bitch. Always cooking and cleaning and shit. I'm sorry. I'm not bitter about it. I'll, we'll talk about it later. Um, a shadow from the window interrupts her. It is the queen, and it is terrifying. It is such an abrupt moment. She's staring at her through the window. Good. Yeah. It's good grief. Um, she, I mean, I'm sorry, give me a minute. Uh, she asks if Snow White is alone. The animals are immediately suspicious and begin attacking the queen. Snow White shoes the animals away and helps the old woman inside, always falling for the tricks. Uh, the animals make their way to the mines and drag the dwarves to the cottage. Very funny sequence. They're like, the animals have gone crazy. And the birds are like pulling at their like shirts and their hats. They're um, full of wicked wills. <laughs> realizing the queen must be at the cottage, the dwarves snap to and run home. Uh, the queen gives Snow White the apple as a reward for helping her with the animals. As an extra incentive, she even says that it is no ordinary apple, but it is a magic wishing apple. Uh, I mean, come on. It's just really so naive. You really a magic wishing apple? How old is Snow White supposed to be at this point? 14, 14. they said her. It's ridiculous. Come on. You should know. Come on. Don't be ridiculous. Snow White, with the prince in mind, takes a bite because she's horny. Instantly, she falls to the ground. <laughs> As it begins to rain... The queen, I'm sorry, I've just, we've all been there. It's nothing against Snow White, I get it. I would, you know, if I was in her shoes, I would also take the bite, you know, whatever, but for different reasons. It's like, oh, this apple may give me. This is actually how Doug from The Hangover got his rufalin. <laughs> oh, man. So we've man. all been there. We've all been there. As it begins to rain, the queen cackles, cheering, now I'll be the fairest in the land. Very As good she... performance, Josh. Very. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!
As she leaves the cottage, she sees the dwarves and the animals charging at her. She climbs up a mountain covered in rocks. At the end of the trail, the queen tries to roll a boulder to crush the dwarves, but lightning strikes the cliff's edge, and the queen falls to her death. The vultures follow her down. Dark stuff. I mean, the, the, the hand of God himself, or Mother Nature, if you will, lightning literally strikes this bitch down and the vultures follow her down as if to say she will not to be cruel but god does not want her to live (laughs) (laughs) oh man oh and so it goes the demise of the first melon title cards appear so beautiful even in death the dwarves could not find it in their heart to bury her they fashioned a coffin of glass and gold and kept eternal vigil at her side The prince, who had searched far and wide, heard of the maiden who slept in the glass coffin. Behind the title card, we can see the seasons are changing. The prince's song is heard. He approaches Snow White's tomb and kisses her, because you just kiss a dead girl, you know, classy. Surprised Um, that her body has not begun to decay at this point. I don't know if she's in, like, some stasis or, like, what the deal is. The glass coffin is magical, maybe? I don't really know, but I digress. Oh, who knows with these people? Um, (laughs) He approaches Snow White's tomb and kisses her. Snow White's eyes open. The dwarves and animals all cheer. In quick succession, the prince carries Snow White to a horse. She says goodbye to her friends. Snow White and the prince go to their luminous castle in the sky. The book closes. The end. The ending is extremely abrupt. Oh, yeah. It's literally like, it's just, she wakes up, and it's like, I think there's like a minute. He literally doesn't give her a minute to, like, find her bearings. This is how you know that, like, maybe he was in on this. Maybe he drugged her. (laughs) Yeah, you never know. Maybe he and the queen were working together. Well, she was the fairest in the land until she went away. This is true. So Josh and I have decided to take a segment that we feel has worked the past uh, Friday the 13th season, and we are going to add awards into the mix. Uh, Do you want to tell the good people what the awards are for? Absolutely, Stephen. Thank you for giving me this honor. Um, Just don't fuck it up. No, I will not. Thank you. Um, In this order, the um, best song... As a, uh, a Disney trope, we've decided. Uh, followed by best animated sequence. Uh, anything re- uh, you know regarding the animation specifically. One sequence, uh, you know, however it's drawn and whatever is mesmerizing about it. You know, you know, we'll we'll go into it when we go into it. Best voice actor. Um, or actress. Uh, no, of course, actor, actress. You know, best best voice actor or actress. Um, this is uh, I feel especially timely. Uh, these are older films we're approaching. Um, what? A lot, of, a lot of these folks are going to be dead. I think they're all I dead. I'm quite sure everyone who was in this movie is dead. <laughs> Something so, tells me. <laughs> so um, they, you know, the voice talents we feel are to be recognized. I completely see it now. You know, looking at these, looking back at this, and finally a a. A favorite between Stephen and myself, we're going to end with most traumatizing moment. Uh, we've already teased it a little bit, but it is clearly something that needs to be discussed. Uh, these movies were not for the faint of heart for children um, of its era. A lot of the films, Disney films of today and animated films are very... Um, Dramatic. Uh, 
Yeah, they're very light. Oh, uh, they don't. Yes. The films of today don't take uh, the plunge that. Uh, no, that's what we were talking about before. Kids' movies today's don't go for it the even way that in, they used to. Even the tail end of our generation, like movies that were coming out when you and I were, you know, getting a little older, and it's just like I don't know. You don't really see the stuff. That, quite, you don't quite see the darkness that is in, 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 enveloped. Back in my day, so in then these, Josh, these, tell us what is your favorite song. Uh, all right, we'll just uh, dive in. A uh, couple runner-ups here. Uh, Whistle While You Work, I guess, was like a classic that stood out in my mind, was a runner-up. Um, it just like instantly came back to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot this was a thing. Um, and kind of a twist, because I, I feel like I should have uh, – it should theoretically be a number one, but uh, Hi-Ho slash The Digging Song, whatever it's called, uh, was also a runner-up. The one I went with actually was the Dwarf's Yodeling song, otherwise known as the Silly Song. The Silly Song. That is going to be my number one. It is way more fun and catchy and entertaining than I can recall. Uh, everything with the the Adam's apple, uh, the, or, <laughs> the organ, uh, everyone's dancing around. It's ridiculous uh, and incredibly, I like I said, it's incredibly catchy. Uh, so I could not uh, deny that I thought it was the more fun and memorable song of I, the bunch. I think it's a really good song, but I'm going to go with Hi-Ho because I know that feeling of leaving work and that's it. Just, I'm Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho. It's, it's home from work we go. I'm cheery. I'm going home. Fuck you guys. <laughs> I do know that feeling. I've done it. You've seen me do it many, many times, times when we were so, working together. <laughs> I did. So I know that feeling. I... <laughs> So that's why I went with it. Let's keep going. Best animated sequence. <laughs> so Steven, start us, tell the folks at home what you thought was the best animated sequence. I think that the best animated sequence was Snow White running through the woods. Uh, it was just brilliant the way it was done, I think. Like we were talking about it earlier, it had a great way of mixing the real with the surreal. And it, again, is a frightening scene for children. It made children literally piss their pants. You know, I, I just think it hit home. So that's my choice. The, the Woods was a runner-up for me, as was the Queen transformation. Uh, we'll get, I'm going to obviously touch on that a little later. Yep. Um, but the, my, my number one sequence, I actually didn't realize it until I was watching it, was actually the dwarves chasing the Queen in the storm at the end. Oh, that's a good um, one. Everything with the, everything about it's just the climbing, the rocks, the it was really the rain that got me because I'm like, all I kept thinking of was the animators, right? There's this big dramatic scene, there's like flashing, they're all climbing and they're having to animate all these little raindrops, and I'm like, this must have been hell to animate, but it pays off. It's an incredibly dramatic scene for uh, their otherwise bones. a very bubbly film. Um, yeah, it really stood out. It was that was uh, that's the one I went with. Who's your best uh, voice actor or actress? Um, I feel like this was obvious, but for me, I have I have one runner-up. Uh, Pintel Kolvig as Grumpy slash Sneezy. He's the only voice who does two dwarfs, uh, namely Grumpy, who sounds like every stereotypical angry old man I've ever heard. As we've said, uh, I can relate. You know, it's uh, the crickets like my... Uh, <laughs> Jiminy Cricket came a week early. Jiminy Cricket is here a week early. Um, but of course, I feel like the only 
logical choice. I mean, everyone was great, but my only logical choice for me was uh, Lucille Laverne, who played the Queen slash yeah, the old. Mine too. Which... Lucille three. Yeah. Lucille three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she crushed it. Because, you know, she plays both the elegant queen and the cackling witch and does it seamlessly. You yeah. Know, you, I, you, the first time you watch it, you think it is two different actors. I really thought, I watching it, I thought it was two different people until I looked it up. So she takes the cake. Yeah, for sure. Uh, then most traumatizing moment. I went, I have a runner-up. The runner-up is the prince kissing Snow White at the end. You should never drug a woman and then kiss her. That's just not something kids should be learning. Uh, But my actual answer is the queen's transformation. Running through the woods sequence has terrifying moments. We've talked about it a couple times. But that has a happy ending where this is like a horrifying figure is emerging and she's like about to do some shit you know there's no like immediate happy conclusion when it comes to it and that's more terrifying of a sequence than just having snow white run through the woods plus the visuals were astounding it had like a german expressionism to it i feel like the way it would and maybe even like american werewolf in london stole from it when her hands are like transforming (laughs) well yeah crazy stuff that's the note I have because you're, I have the same answer as you. The runner-up was the woods and the, and the queen becoming the witch was obviously, I think, the most traumatizing. Um, but with the fingers, it was uh, they did some really cool stuff, like with the fingers changing, uh, the shadows on the wall, um, obviously the hair turning light, the spinning colors. Um, everything about it was kind of very – the fact that you saw a lot of it happening genuinely uh, made it more terrifying, I think. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty. So then, I guess that could bring us into final thoughts about this movie. So do you want to kick it off? Yeah, so uh, as I said, it's not that I'm against animated movies. It's just they're kind of, um, it's not my go-to at all. Um, I always write off animated movies when I see trailers or hear about them. I'm always like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not interested. I've just become very cynical towards animated films. And watching this, um made me realize it helped me to realize this this reality that there's an appreciation here i can't deny um the biggest we didn't i didn't mention it we didn't mention in the pre-production notes but uh in reading about this that there were 1.5 million individual drawings sketched which were then transferred to cells which were then colored and then presented at 350,000 frames um makes it like a kind of a landmark film um i respect it a whole lot more than i like it but my respect is so high that it's like how can i deny everything happening here everything about this film is like it's the first of its kind long after we all perish this film will still be talked about because of what it did um you know there are i mean the the amount of inspiration it created um, not just Enchanted, but also like Shrek singing with the birds and whatnot. And the whole concept of singing characters in a uh, a fairyland kind of princess world where everything is happy and whatever. And there's like, it's very, like it feels, it's silly now watching it, but it's also like because we've been desensitized with all the content that we watched growing up in mine and Steven's generation of like 
things that were parodying Snow White. I mean, for its time in 1937, this must have been a mind-blowing experience. People must have watched this and not really had, must have not known how, how to feel. Like, it must have just, it must have been kind of transcendental. Um, and I had said, I think I said it off airs, I watched, the last time I watched this film was in, I was in ninth grade and I took an animation course. And this was the first movie we watched because my professor at the time was this cr uh, cranky old man and he was like, you gotta watch Snow White. It's the most important animated film. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, okay, boomer. And, um, you know, looking at okay, it boomer. now, <laughs> looking at it now, it makes sense what, this, what, what he was saying because it's kind of like, you just can't deny everything this movie does so well. There's really nothing quite like it, it except, like I said, like, I'm desensitized because I, of everything that came after it. I mean, we grew up in a generation that was just uh, in the Disney Renaissance. That was just starting to boom. And so it's like everything, I mean, I literally mean everything that Disney has done kind of owes their respects to Snow White. So anything cartoon has to pay its respects to this, honestly. Right. We set the template for a lot for every animated movie that came after. Without this movie, there would not be any more animated movies or not just, for quite some time. Exactly. Um, and even like, I, even like the singing, uh, uh, you know, singing with the animals and even reminded me of uh, when Family Guy did their multiverse episode and they did the whole Disney sketch. And it's kind of like, there is endless parody and satire and influence that this movie has had. Um, but my final note is that kind of, I'm at a point in my life where I've accepted my spite towards all the warm and fuzzy. Um, and yet I, I have realized that my appreciation for art and the theatrics and animation and music and all that uh, kind of trumps any of the negative feelings I have ultimately. Um, a, a, a final comparison I'll make is that um, <laughs> I mean, you know, my Stephen knows my thoughts on this, but the 2016 uh, Best Picture winner for all of two minutes, La La Land, was a movie that kind of won me over, and I couldn't really explain why. I love that it was so directly referencing old musicals, and I was like, hey, this is kind of self-aware, but it's it's capturing everything that Singing in the Rain and those old movies did. And what I realized is, I look at that movie, and I look at a movie like Enchanted would do, as Stephen and I had mentioned earlier, and the sense of like recognizing what it is you're doing um and what i realized is i have an appreciation for those original theatrics and i have an, i have an admiration towards the original art and so there's something behind it that no matter how much i can make spite towards like oh yeah animated movies whatever it's for we're adults these it's, it's like i can't really deny what has been essentially the building blocks of like Stephen said, it's like the building blocks of anything animated. I have you have to you have to look back at Snow White. This is a fundamental landmark of a film, and now that brings it full circle. I'll I'll end it there. I um, not just animated movies, but musicals as well. The first like real musical, like book musical that has ever been created was uh, Roger and Hammerstein's Oklahoma in like 1940, I think. Yeah. But this is a musical to its form. You know, it interjects music. It has a story. It has, it, it is a musical. So it Absolutely. technically did it first. All musicals and all animation movies have to pay homage to this movie. And is it my favorite Disney movie of all time? No, but what I will say is it holds up. You know, you could show a kid this movie today and 
I think that they would still very much enjoy it. In fact, oh, it's, I it's, think they'd find uh, yeah. it more interesting than some of the crap that has been made recently. It's so impressive. I mean, I'm that not, was the one thing I'm watching throughout. Is it's so it's so impressive, even yeah. watching this. You know, I'm not saying that you know all the right lessons are being taught in this movie. Obviously, 2020, uh, you know, logic doesn't apply. Like I mentioned, don't kiss a girl when she's drunk. You know, like keep keeping a woman in the kitchen. Not necessarily <laughs> the best thing. <laughs> obviously you know it's very conservative in its values and you could debate whether to show it to your kids or not but i think that it holds up animation wise if you show it to your kids they're going to have fun with it and not miss a beat they're gonna laugh at the dwarves they're gonna be scared of the queen it does exactly what it needs to do in retrospect it is almost like a perfect movie it's one of the few perfect movies actually because it has it's it was hand drawn literally every frame is hand drawn so whatever is in there was meticulously chosen to like a fine t and this movie i didn't mention it earlier but if you were to adjust for inflation it would still be on the highest 10 it would be one of the 10 highest grossing movies of all time it's if you for inflation it's the highest grossing animated movie of all time yeah so it started something i'm echoing josh i respect this movie more than i necessarily like it that being said it's definitely not one of my least favorite disney movies give it a watch pretty good pretty 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 good i was kind of yeah i was really like i was really miserable watching this up until the moment where i realized like i was kind of having a good time with it like right when they did that opening song between the the queen um sorry snow right when they the did an opening song between snow and the prince i was like and I dude was at that moment i looked at myself and i was like oh my god josh is gonna fucking kill me this is really something I, that was the moment i was like what are we doing and i was kind of like it's like when i watched when we were watching friday the 13th and uh you know no the, it definitely the, was one of those moments where i was going oh my god what did i do <laughs> Because, and you know what? I knew that the doors were coming, and I was like, uh, "That's that's when it really picks up." Like I've said, like I said with Friday the Thirteenth, I think these certain kind of shows will be a testament to our relationship. I think this is kind of I would. Ne- I mean, I don't know. I can't imagine another universe where I'm like, "Hey, let me just sit down and watch Snow White," and that's why I appreciate this because I, I this was the best experience I've had watching this in terms of appreciating it, having come so far from animation and film and analyzing shit for no other reason than to just be a snooty film person. Um, <laughs> I really just, I, I appreciate this movie a lot. And that gives me, for me, it gives it, the film more credibility than I've ever given it. I finally have reached the point of my crusty old man stage where I'm like, I get it. Like, I get why this movie is fundamental. Like, it's crucially important. Probably one of the most important movies ever, ever made. Not yep. probably. It is one of the most important movies ever made. It's up um, there. Um, so... You ready to give a pick of the week? I am. Do you want me to start it? I can start it if you want. I know that you recommended this one a while ago, but I'm going to re-recommend it. Toy Story. First Pixar movie ever. It is equally as ambitious and equally as rewarding. Both companies nailed it uh, on their first run out, and they both had a lot to lose. Uh, I can't say that 
Toy Story is necessarily more groundbreaking in the sense that people could have been turned away from animation altogether, but they could have been turned away from the 3D animation altogether. And the original Toy Story is just a classic, you know? It's you have so good. Woody and Buzz in their prime doing their thing. You know, as good it's as It's more of a buddy comedy to me than almost anything else. Yeah. As good as the sequels are, the original is still the original. It it's a classic. So so that's my recommendation. What about you? No, that's good. Um I had Enchanted as my original recommendation, but we've mentioned it enough. I'm not going to use it anymore. Uh, instead, I'm going to go a different route. You had talked about the Universal feud uh, w- with Disney, so I'm going to go with uh, the 1986 Don Bluth film An American Tale. Um, Classic. I thought you were going to say something like, uh, I don't even know, something terrible. Just no, I, I, I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I thought you were going to say Fast and Furious, just despite. Oh man, that would be good. But I'm. I mean, maybe next week. But, but go on I mean, with the American Tale. Uh, that is Ameri- a great one. I have two older brothers. I grew up on a lot of not just like movies of my generation, you know, the '90s, but uh, movies of the '80s as well. And it's kind of like um, the Don Bluth movies were part of that era produced by Spielberg. A lot of them were uh, Amblin Entertainment, of course. Um, it's His just one of those in the credits. It's, it really is. And it's just one of those American Tales, one of those movies that I put up there. And we, Stephen and I have had discussions, especially when it comes to movies like Hook or movies that may not be as critically acclaimed. Uh, but because we grew up with them, there's sort of the nostalgia block. There's that like, hey, you know what I mean? I'm going to give it the credibility because I grew up with it. And it's just like, that's how I see it in a certain way because of, I have that um, memory of it i haven't watched an american tale since i was a child but like i i know it very well i watched it enough as a child i watched it just as often as i did um the disney movies so um it was very also very important i feel like how do i say this they don't make enough movies nowadays that you know it today's movies are about expressing like we need to share culture. That's sure. the whole argument about what we should be doing today. And I feel like not enough Jewish culture is truly shared the way right. that it is in that movie. It's very Jewish. Because, you know, you get something like Seinfeld where sure it's humorous, but that movie specifically is just very much like an endearing movie about the Jewish tale. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's just like, I love the themes. Like, they live in Russia with these horrible, like, horrifying cats with, like, big mustaches or whatever, and hats are, like, terror, terrorizing these mice. And, like, they have to, they, they flee to America because they're like, oh, America's, whatever. There's no cats in America. There's a whole song about it. And then there's, like, the Statue of Liberty is not even built yet. And it's kind of like, America is a fable and so they get there and they realize that like oh there are cats in America and then they have this whole thing this whole climax where they build this giant horrifying mouse creature to scare the cats away and there's this villain mouse I don't know spoiler like, alert of course it's just the whole thing but it's just like it's a it's one of those movies that like it's burned into my memory the same way that you know Aladdin or Lion King are it's just like I grew up in that in an era where I was watching all these movies at the same time so um it is one of the earlier of those kinds of films from that era the universal it's i think it's the first of the universal amblin entertainment 
um, relationship. And it's, I think it's one of Don Bluth's earlier, or if not his earliest film. So um, I think it's valuable. It gets going to get, it's going to get buried in the rubble of everything that's going to come with not just, well, it's mostly going to be Disney, but just with animated films in the future. I think Don Bluth's going to be one of those kind of like lost um yeah unfortunately filmmakers. his stuff has yeah. kind of been lost land before time got lost too yeah so that's my pick I'm, land before I'm time is a fossil dare i say i um, uh will maybe save that for next time but uh i'm gonna end it there with my pick all right so then i guess we will end the podcast here as always you could follow me on instagram at mr Filmart. all right we will see you next time when we watch a movie about a puppet that came to life yeah, you really blew it by making Toy Story recommendation this week and not next. Just no, no, no. I got something for next week. Don't oh, you okay. worry. Oh, I, I've never worried for a single. I'll let in my that life. tease. We'll see you next time. <laughs>